Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, billions of dollars in federal funds are headed to California. President Biden is expected to sign the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package tomorrow, which means the much-anticipated $1,400 stimulus checks could hit bank accounts in a matter of weeks, if not days. And that's in addition to the state's own stimulus money for Californians who qualify. Billions of dollars will also flow to cities and counties. We dig into the stimulus bill and what it means for the Golden State after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tonight, President Biden will make his first primetime address since taking office to tout the passage of his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, which he plans to sign tomorrow, and to offer encouraging words to a country exhausted by the pandemic. Quote, this legislation is about giving the backbone of this nation, the essential workers, the working people who built this country, the people who keep this country going, a fighting chance, Biden said in a statement. Joining me to talk about the legislation and its impact on California, Emily Stewart, a business and politics reporter for Vox. Emily Stewart, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tal Copen is also with us, Washington, D.C. correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. Tal Copen, glad to have you here as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And let me start with Emily Stewart. Uh, you know, Emily, in a word, this relief package is really big. <laughs> Can you put in context for us just how massive it is compared to comparable legislation? Sure. So this bill, if you think back to the the, the Great Recession, is is pretty significant. So that bill back in 2009, the Democrats passed, was about 5.5% of 2008's GDP. The American Rescue Plan, which Biden is about to sign, is 9% of 2020's GDP. So it is it is big. Um, and this continues the response that we've seen from the federal government on COVID since last year. Yes. And you've also described this package as going to the people who need it most. What do you mean by that? Um, well, it really is focused at the people who are struggling most during the pandemic. So we know that this pandemic has hit people at the the bottom of the income spectrum a lot harder than it has people at the top. A lot of people near the top are actually doing better because 
that are saving money and the stock market's going up. And so if you want to kind of compare this, say, to the 2017 tax bill that Republicans passed, you know, that we know really the benefits went largely to the highest income people and to corporations. And with this, we're really seeing kind of the opposite. It's people who are at the lower end of the spectrum. We're seeing you know, there's a lot of money in here for unemployment, for for stimulus checks, which obviously are going to a broader swath of the population, but we really do see this targeted toward the people who have been hit hardest. Yes, I mean, the bill is estimated to slash poverty by a third, potentially cut child poverty in half. So Talcopin, let's talk about what will come to California. First, can you remind us of the stimulus payments? Yeah, so, um, to answer your first question, question, tens of billions of dollars <laughs> will be coming <laughs> to California. I actually, I haven't quite done the math, but uh, it's it's upwards of um, fifty billion. Uh, in terms of the stimulus payments, uh, it's going to depend on each family's exact situation, the precise amount that they're going to get. Uh, actually, the Biden administration just put up a website today. Uh, that kind of offers Americans a few different snapshots on what they might get depending on their family, because it's about 1400 per adult. And then there's additional money per children, depending on age. And then there are some phase outs by income level. Uh, so it, and so it will depend on um, the individual situations of, of families and their uh, previous tax returns. Uh, but it, it, could be, for example, a, a childless married couple could get $2,800. You know, a, a family with a few kids could get more than $5,000. Uh, quite a bit could be coming directly to people's pockets. And I was also struck by this statistic in your reporting that estimates that some 22 million adults and 9 million children in California will get this stimulus. Yes. this. Uh, so this was actually something that um, was really part of the last minute negotiating over the bill is exactly where the income phase out should happen. And there were some progressives who criticized uh, their colleagues for bringing down that threshold. So these payments actually, the way the bill was passed from the House could have even gone to more people, uh, but certainly many, many people in need will benefit from it, even as it's Right. Married couples with adjusted gross incomes of up to $150,000 are eligible for the full amount. Individuals with adjusted gross incomes up to $75,000. Can you talk, Emily Stewart, about the expanded and extended unemployment uh, insurance benefits under the legislation and some of the some of the haggling over that? Sure. This one was quite a riot. <laughs> last week, Friday. Um, so essentially, as everything stands right now, unemployment benefits, these expanded ones that are the extra money from the federal government, were supposed to end on March 14th from the last stimulus package. So what this bill does is it extends those extra $300 a week through September 6th. Um, it also extends programs that provide unemployment insurance to people who are gig workers or people who are freelancers who maybe wouldn't otherwise qualify. Now, what Biden had initially asked for in his kind of opening bid was $400 through September. This passed the House with $400 through August. So we kind of wound up 
with some middle ground here. But I do think it's important to note that one thing that this bill does is it takes the first $10,200 of unemployment benefits that someone's gotten, and it makes it non-taxable income. And a lot of, of experts in this area were really worried that what was going to happen was that people were going to get these tax bills from their unemployment insurance that they had no idea existed. Um, and so that has been taken care of in this bill. And that goes mm. for people who make up to $150,000. Well, let me invite listeners to join the conversation with their questions about the American Rescue Plan. It's called the American Rescue Plan. Also, you can tell us what support have you most needed that you're glad to know is coming, or if you're disappointed in any way with this plan, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email us at forum at kqed.org. Richard asks, why were no cuts proposed elsewhere to help offset the costs of this bill? Is the $1,400 check taxable income? Are there really unspent funds from previous relief bills, as Republicans claim? You mentioned, Emily Stewart, you know, this significant provision that makes the first 10200 in unemployment benefits non-taxable. What about these $1,400 stimulus checks? I'm actually not sure on that. I'd assume it would be taxable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I assume that's what you, you know, you get the money, so the government takes a little bit back. But it's still a helpful still a helpful amount of money. Richard is asking why no cuts were proposed elsewhere to help offset the costs of the bill. One of the things that we were hearing a lot, Emily Stewart, was Biden basically saying that he fears doing too little more than he fears doing too much. Do you think that that's driving some of this bill and its and its magnitude? Yeah, for sure. I think so. You know, when, when you talk to Democrats, what they'll say is that they feel like after the Great Recession, they thought they were going to get a couple of bites at the apple on helping people and they didn't. And mm. yeah, I remember even last year when the pandemic first hit talking to economists and people saying then like, we really need to take a big swing here and make sure we help people because the worse the economy becomes as the pandemic gets under control, the harder it's going to be to dig out of this. And so that really seems like the mantra that the Biden administration is taking here. You know, let's let's really we're getting closer to the end of the tunnel as the vaccines continue to roll out. So why not keep people afloat in the meantime? Tal Copen, it's interesting, right? No Republicans supported this. Uh, Kevin McCarthy of California. The minority leader is quoted as saying this isn't a rescue bill. It isn't a relief bill. It's a laundry list of left wing priorities that predate the pandemic and do not meet the needs of American families. But as we saw, this bill got more popular as it was moving through Congress. So do you think this is the right the right approach for the GOP? Well, I think to a certain extent, that's up to voters and in two years. And as we all know, two years can be an eternity in politics, um, but it's certainly a gamble. But we also already see Republicans touting, or at least one, touting provisions of this bill that they didn't vote for. Mm. Uh, you know, Pelosi made a, Nancy Pelosi made a comment today in her uh, weekly news conference about Republicans voting no and taking the dough uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, but Senator Roger Wicker was his Twitter account was was touting a provision in this bill that he didn't support. And reporters asked him if that was an intellectually consistent position. And he said it was because he had always supported that provision. He just didn't like the rest of the bill, but he was happy to see that provision passed. So, you know, I'm sure Democrats are going to try to prevent Republicans from from taking credit for anything they ultimately didn't actually support. 
but you know, I mean, it's sort of a question that I that voters will have to resolve. You know, one of the one of the questions you read out from our listener was uh, about unspent money from previous bills. That is true. There is money that has been. Uh, passed by Congress that has not been appropriated. Some of that is just that this kind of process takes time for all that money to be doled out. And there is money that's going to be in this bill that will be taking, you know, months, years to, to fully reach their destinations. Ultimately, the question of those destinations is really a judgment call. So Republicans, their proposals for COVID aid were extremely t- targeted to, you know, small business loans, that was an area of agreement, and a few other things. And Democrats always said that's not enough. So things in this bill that Democrats wanted that Republicans have opposed include direct lines to state and local governments. This is the lion's share of what California will get. California will get $42 billion split between the state and local governments directly. Republicans always said that was a bailout for states that hadn't properly managed their finances. And Democrats said, no, you know, state and local governments haven't gotten the revenues they're used to getting this year. They've had additional expenses that they weren't prepared for. They need this money to prevent layoffs of public service workers and things that will harm the economy more. That's, you know, a a question of of who's sort of right on that uh, assessment. Similarly for transit. Uh, you know, this bill is going to send billions to California for public transit. Democrats make the same argument, you know, okay, money for trains isn't the same thing as money for vials of vaccine, but public transit ridership has cratered during the pandemic and the money that comes in to fund those agencies is down and they have to spend more money on, you know, cleaning and, and PPE. So a lot of this is is a question of how you consider, you know, dealing with the pandemic. Is it is it an expansive view of all the ways it's hit society or is it a narrower view? It's a great point. And we'll dig into more of the provisions of the bill after the break. We're talking with Tal Copin, Washington, D.C. correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle, and Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter for Vox. And you are listeners with your questions about this one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bill. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that Congress passed yesterday and President Biden will sign into law tomorrow and how it will impact California. We're talking with Tal Copin, Washington, D.C. correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle, Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter for Vox. And you, our listeners, are with us. What questions do you have about the American Rescue Plan? What support have you most needed that you're glad to know is coming? Are you disappointed with the plan in any way? I'd also be curious to know, listeners, what you think 
think of the Democrats' decision to not court Republican support by scaling back the legislation and really moving forward with their plans and choosing reconciliation? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Just before the break, Tal Copen was talking about the the impact on cities, California cities, of this $1.9 trillion relief bill. And uh, Mayor Robert Garcia of Long Beach told MSNBC yesterday about how hard cities have been hit and what the package will mean for Long Beach. Let's listen to that. Yeah, I don't think people really realize what's happened to uh, American cities in this last year. Uh, most cities across the country have uh, depleted their reserves. Uh, employees are furloughed or have been laid off. Revenues that we would depend on from businesses, of course, have dramatically decreased, and some sectors are completely gone. If you're a city like Long Beach, it depends on tourism. Like a lot of California coastal cities, that's an industry that's been really hit, uh, really difficult. And so when you think about what this Congressional Act is going to do, it is going to literally save jobs, save people's livelihoods, and get services back to people, reopen libraries, get public safety back in place, help people experiencing homelessness. And most importantly, in this uh, bill is the ability for governments to replenish their emergency reserves. We have all spent down these reserves. And so now we'll be prepared for the next pandemic or the next natural disaster. And that's something that we're very grateful to President Biden and the Congress uh, for putting in uh, this bill. Talk open. Can I get your reaction to Robert Garcia saying if there's anything you'd like to add? I mean, it it pretty much lays out what Democrats have been saying. And interestingly, although Republicans in Congress have been very opposed uh, every step along the way to the idea of state and local pot of funding or additional state and local pot of funding beyond the amounts that were um, very early on allocated, you know, we've seen Republican governors and mayors from across the country take a different position and actually request and support this funding. So, you know, it's a bit of a disconnect between the Washington GOP and some of the GOP in the rest of the country. Mm. Well, Louise asks, since the 1200 stimulus payment was received last year was not taxable, and this is clearly stated on the IRS website, can we not assume that this incoming $1,400 is also not taxable? Emily Stewart, actually, I'm getting a note from yeah. our producer, Ariana, that, <laughs> that yes. That was my mistake. I okay. <laughs> That it is, in fact, not not taxable. Right. Mm -hmm. It will not be taxed. Thank you, Louise, for prompting that clarification. And let me go to caller R.C. in San Francisco. Hi, R.C. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have a statement and I have a statement and a question. Um, Last week, I called the California Franchise Tax Board to uh, ask if uh, SSI recipients would be receiving the stimulus. And I was told that it had not been decided as of last week whether or not they would. Uh, Last year, my income was approximately $10,000 from SSI. And I do not file a tax return. Social Security has told me that I do not need to. And uh, those uh, previous two uh, stimulus payments, the $600 ones, were direct deposited without sending in a tax statement, tax return. And so I'm really stressed out about whether or not uh, SSI recipients will be receiving the California Golden Stimulus. Oh, well, in terms of the state stimulus, uh, we will actually be having Patrick McGreevy joining us shortly to to answer that question. Um, but I don't know if you have any insights, Tal Copen or Emily Stewart. I don't believe they've made any changes on that. Uh, so I, if the previous stimulus payments went off without a hitch, I would have every reason to believe these would as well. And 
on the White House um, website that I mentioned, it's whitehouse.gov slash American dash rescue dash plan. One of their examples is a retired individual with uh, zero income and their calculus is that that person will get stimulus checks. And Talcum, I want to ask you about money for education in this for California. Can you give us a sense of what's coming with regard to that, K-12 students and, and colleges? Yes, uh, $15 billion for California K-12 through schools. A small portion of that uh, will go to non-public schools. Most of it will go to public schools. And then an additional $5 billion for colleges and universities. And there's some... Uh, efforts to distribute pieces of that to specific needs. So a fraction of the K through 12 money will go to specifically the issue of learning loss and colleges and universities will also be required to set aside some of that money specifically for financial aid. Hmm. Well, Fani asks, how much funding is being allocated to the community colleges? This is where nurses, first responders get trained and where unemployed people can get retrained for new jobs. Isn't there a lot of money allocated for the community college system? The City College of San Francisco is laying off hundreds of faculty and cutting hundreds of classes. Uh, Do you know how this breaks down for community colleges? I'm afraid I don't know that level of granularity. I apologize. Uh, No, that's okay. There is so much detail in this in particular, but yes, there are resources for that as well. Uh, But as you were saying, $5 billion overall for colleges and universities, much of which actually must go to financial aid, as I understand it. That's correct. And I would imagine that community colleges are not excluded from that, but I don't know. There there are some specific set-asides, for example, for historically Black colleges and universities. I don't, I didn't see any analysis specifically about community colleges. Emily Stewart, you wrote quite a bit about also student loan forgiveness and actually tucked in, as you describe it, as a provision uh, that makes basically forgiven student debt tax-free. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting surprise that came in here. So basically what the bill does is that it says any student debt that's forgiven between now and the end of 2025 is not taxable. So before what would happen is, let's say, in a world where you had some student debt forgiven under certain circumstances, that would count towards as taxable income. So what this says is that's not going to happen. So this kind of does two things. One thing that it does, of course, it sort of nudged Joe Biden on student debt forgiveness, which is something that a lot of Democrats and activists have been pushing him on. It's not clear whether or not he's whether or not he's going to actually go ahead with it or if he's going to push for it. He has said he wants Congress to cancel $10,000 worth of student debt. Um, Elizabeth Warren and and Chuck Schumer and others say that they would like him to cancel $50,000 worth of student debt. So we don't know. But this makes it so that if that were to happen, Um, it would not be taxable. But I think a thing that sometimes gets lost in this is that there are certain student loan debt forgiveness programs where forgiven debt would be taxable. That includes a lot of the income-based repayment programs where basically you pay back a certain amount over 20, 25 years and your debt is forgiven. Now, most people have not reached the point yet where they hit that 20 to 25 year period but if they do in this time frame, or I think more importantly, and what many advocates are hoping for is that this becomes permanent. And then when people start to hit that time frame, this will be helpful to them as well, regardless of what Biden does in the near future. 
And again, Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter for Vox, Tal Copin, Washington, D.C. correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. And Tal, one of the other things that, of course, is really important to Californians is housing aid. Can you talk about what housing aid, give a little more detail about what the housing aid is in this bill for California? Yeah, for sure. There's several different um, pieces of housing-related aid in the bill overall. Some of that is um, an estimate at this point. The way these bills are written is sort of uh, in terms of overall sort of mathematical formulas. And so it's not like in the bill, it spells out X number of dollars goes here. Uh, Various institutions who specialize in this kind of thing will calculate. So on housing, some of this is known and some of this isn't. That said, Democrats themselves have run the numbers and estimate that um, California will get about $2 billion for emergency rental assistance. Uh, there's also buckets for uh, some efforts to combat homelessness and a fund to support new homeowners, um, a new homeowner assistance program. Uh, Congressman, or excuse me, Senator Padilla's office ran some numbers based on the House version of the bill, and they estimate about a billion for the homeowner assistance and a little more than half a billion on homelessness. Uh, but I hadn't. I, as of, I did a story on this for San Francisco, the sfchronicle.com and our newspaper. And as a publication, we weren't able to verify those estimates from Padilla. Hmm. Well, joining us now to talk about how the federal stimulus bill might boost California's own stimulus, that $7.6 billion package that Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law last month, is Patrick McGreevy, staff writer for Los Angeles Times. Patrick McGreevy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Earlier, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, how small businesses were going to benefit. We know that restaurants that lost money last year because of the pandemic will get $28 billion in grants. Uh, But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the California stimulus handles relief for small businesses. Yeah. So uh, basically, there's been a program in place by executive order uh, for a couple months, and the Legislature and the governor just signed a bill that will provide $2.1 billion in grants to small businesses. They'll get from $5,000 to $25,000. And it's it's kind of a competitive thing. They're going to make sure that the grants are allocated uh, geographically diverse, ethnically diverse, um, unrepresented areas are going to get money. And essentially, these are not loans. They're just uh, grants that businesses can use to stay afloat uh, while the p- pandemic is uh going on. And this additional $2 billion was because, I mean, the demand for relief from small businesses was massive, wasn't it, from that initial support that the, the state was providing? It was. Uh, the original grant process had 21,000 businesses given grants, but 350,000 asked for them. And they, they requested $4.5 billion. They were only able to give out uh, $500 million during the first round. So it's much larger than the, the demand is much larger than the supply. The federal stimulus will not reach broad swaths of Californians, though, especially those who are undocumented. Can you talk about how the California stimulus will address some of this? Just remind our listeners. Yeah. So the basically they did. The governor specifically said that this is something that the feds had not uh, taken care of. And so they were going to do something. And so what they did was they provided uh, a relief stimulus, a state stimulus check of six hundred dollars one time check 
to 5.7 million Californians. It's going to go out uh, some like four or five weeks after people file their tax returns. And these go out to uh, people who have um, earned income tax credits. So that means people that make 30, under $30,000 annually. So it's aimed at low-income people. Uh, where the immigrants uh, get benefits is they're also going to provide uh, stimulus checks to people with individual tax identification numbers who make less than $75,000 and didn't get uh, the federal stimulus payments. And this is where um, undocumented immigrants come in. Uh, they, a lot of them file uh, individual tax identification numbers because they, they have income, but they're not eligible for federal programs because they don't have social security numbers. And many do, but not all. So of course, while some will be able to get this relief, definitely not all will with regard to the fact they don't have individual taxpayer identification numbers, which was one of the major points of concern. But at the same time, it sounded like this this was the big point of contention, at least on the state level. It, it was. It, you know, the immigrant rights groups have said that there's a, har a large number of people that are still not represented in this. And um, on the other side of the aisle, Republican legislators said, this is creating some sort of financial obligation for the government where uh, potentially the budget won't be so flush next year. But uh, on the other hand, Democrats said this is a one-time thing. They don't expect it to continue. So, But there is talk that uh, mm. there might be effort to extend it to other people who don't have these identific uh, tax identification numbers. I'm not sure how they would do that, though. So, so, Patrick, give me your assessment of this California stimulus combined with this newly passed federal stimulus, what you think it means for California in terms of substantively really bringing support. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it's pretty significant when you combine it with other things, such as uh, the eviction bill that the legislature in the state uh, approved last month that basically helps uh, pay back rent uh, that's owed and keeps people from being evicted uh, through June. Uh, all that thing, all that combined, I think will help a lot of people, but I'm hearing still that there are people who, you know, $600 stimulus check uh, going to an immigrant that might get them through a month or two, but uh, there are people that are gonna still have trouble uh, paying their bills. Tal Copen, do you think this relief bill will take, the federal relief bill will take, any pressure off Newsom as he faces a recall attempt? I mean, we were talking about how this will bring tens of billions of dollars to California, but proponents said, I believe just today, that they have more than 2 million signatures of the 1.5 million or so required. Wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, in some ways, you know, his fate is already baked in and in some ways it isn't. So, I mean, it seems fairly likely at this point that it will, this effort will qualify for the ballot. And just the fact of that will add pressure to him and he'll be facing, you know, a campaign that he wouldn't otherwise be facing at the same time, you know, ultimately the security of his job isn't necessarily thrown into doubt because of the fact of it making the ballot. I mean, he still goes into that fight sort of favored to keep his job. But in terms of how the actual, you know, influx of dollars impacts, it, it definitely doesn't hurt him. Mm -hmm. uh, the more that Californians feel that their 
their lives are getting better or not getting worse, the better the situation is for him. But, you know, we at the San Francisco Chronicle and my colleagues have found that even with this huge amount of money coming to schools, those schools aren't sure if they can reopen regardless, mm-hmm. because it's not just a money question. They have to figure out how to get teachers and parents and administrators all on the same page about what reopening looks like. And so, you know, if the governor were to find himself in a situation where even with all this, this aid flowing in, you know, people aren't necessarily feeling like things are changing. That's not a great situation for him to find himself in. But, you know, if we continue to see more and more vaccines being distributed, if schools do start to reopen, if the overall mood of the country starts to improve, if, if jobs come back, I mean, those are the types of things that could certainly benefit him as he tries to hold on to his job. I was struck by your reporting, Tal, about Republicans trying to nationalize this recall effort and making it a referendum on Democrats' coronavirus policies. Can you talk a little bit about that and and where Biden stands right now in terms of offering full-throated support to Newsom? (laughs) Absolutely. So I was actually at the White House yesterday for the, uh, the press secretary's briefing and asked this question. You know, Republicans let's let's put this frankly, there isn't much going on politically this year. I mean, nationally around the country, there are, I think, a couple gubernatorial races that happen in odd-numbered years. And other than that, odd-numbered years are kind of boring in terms of politics. And so, you know, the, the prospect of having this very high-profile gubernatorial recall, it, Republicans are flooding money in nationally to this effort. They, you know, Republicans love making California, you know, a boogeyman. And so they are they're latching onto it. Democrats haven't gotten there yet. Bernie Sanders tweeted the other day, it's time for Democrats to realize that they need to come to Newsom's defense. And I asked the White House about this yesterday, and they basically said, we're not there yet. And they they support Governor Newsom, they oppose the recall, and they have nothing new to add on that front. Hmm. Tal Copen, thank you so much for talking with us. Really appreciate it. We know you need to leave us at the break. So Tal Copen, Washington, D.C. correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. And stay with us, listeners. We'll be talking more about the provisions of the bill, both the California stimulus bill and the federal bill after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that Congress passed yesterday and that President Biden plans to sign into law tomorrow. We're looking at how it will impact California with Patrick McGreevy, staff writer at the Los Angeles Times, and Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter for Vox. You, our listeners, are with us asking questions about what is in this American rescue plan, uh, how you're feeling now that the re- relief bill has passed, maybe disappointed in any way about it, what you think of the way that it passed between Democrats and Republicans without Republican support. Also, of course, if you have any specific questions about California's stimulus package that was passed last month, give us a call 866-733-6786. Email us forum at kqed.org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. Let me go to caller Alexander in Petaluma. Hi, Alexander. Hi, how are you today? Great program. Thanks. 
Um, I just want to say that um, I'm a little concerned about the fact that they're calling the child tax credit a tax credit because I'm I'm worried that if if like let's say I don't owe seven thousand dollars, I may not get it. That like I have two kids, I'm not going to get the full amount if I don't owe that much. Are they going to give you a check? And how how does that work? Do any mm. of you guys know? And um, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, sustaining member here. Oh, Take thanks, Alexander. So, Emily Stewart, I'm, I'm glad Alexander's bringing in the child tax credit. Can you talk about the child uh, tax credit and, and also uh, and address some of Alexander's concerns potentially, and then also some more about child care assistance that's coming in as well? Yeah. So basically what's going on in this bill, and I think it's important to remember, it's, it's at least for now temporary, though I believe the hope is that um, it will not be temporary, is that what it does is it gives people about $3,000 per child, it, up to 17, and it's $3,600 for, for children who are five years old and younger. I think we're still kind of figuring out the details in terms of what that's going to look like because the bill says they are periodic payments. But what I've seen is that we think probably by July, people are going to start getting money. And, and I do think you know, Patrick makes a fair point. It's a little bit on to call it a tax credit because it is, in a way, a child allowance but it seems like it's quite important you know the, the Biden administration is saying that they think that they can cut child poverty in half and they're doing other things in here as well you know they're making sure that kids even when school is out kids that were on school lunch programs are still getting money for those types of programs so kids aren't sitting at school hungry um, and I think that we're also going to see probably in follow-up bills as well Biden in his Build Back Better plan talked about the care economy. I think we've really seen kind of over the past year what caregivers mean to us and what, you know, how much, how important child care is. And so I think we're also probably going to see a little bit more of that going down the pike, though. It's not entirely clear uh, what that might look like. Well, let me thank Alexander for bringing up the point and go to Philip in San Francisco. Hi, Philip. Hi, uh, and apologies if this question is a bit redundant, but uh, so I'm a black San Franciscan and I'm really excited by the numbers I keep seeing that this is going to drop poverty, uh, the federal relief bill is going to drop poverty in the black community by like up to 42%, uh, as well as in the Latinx community by similar numbers. And I'm really trying to understand those mechanics, like where, where are those numbers coming from and how is this going to, you know, do something as drastic as end uh, 40% of poverty in the black community? Hmm, Philip, thanks. Uh, Emily Stewart. I mean, I think that the answer of this is really that it's it's obviously like a race issue, and it's also an income issue, right? Like I was saying before, a lot of really where they are sending money is to people who have been hit hardest. So we know, for example, that Black and Latino women have lost a lot of jobs in this, right? They work in the service sectors, a lot of sectors that have been and hardest hit. So that's a way, for example, that unemployment insurance is going to help them to benefit them. And so I think basically kind of when we think about this bill holistically, that's a lot of what's going on here. And there has been some real deliberate efforts on the part of Democrats to make sure, like, for example, that there's specific help for Black farmers. There's money in here for broadband assistance. And that we know sometimes, especially in urban areas, it can be a problem to get you know, even broadband, like decent internet to, to more urban areas as well as rural areas. And so I think there are just a lot of ways here that this bill kind of takes a look at where we have real gaps that have been exposed in, in the pandemic.
Well, Angela writes, will the stimulus package for California or across the nation actually help people in small rural communities who have limited access to Internet jobs, medical care, etc.? Also, will the California stimulus package help people who were affected by the fires last year and the year before? Patrick McGreevy, thoughts for Angela? Yeah, the, this doesn't necessarily get into the fire issue so much, but uh, there are there's money, for instance, for child care providers in the in the state stimulus package. There's also uh, uh, tax deductions for businesses that took out PPP loans so that the people who were uh, unemployed because of that and brought back by businesses, the businesses will get help to keep them going. So there are some provisions that will help areas of the state that aren't necessarily uh, normally uh, helped in these kind of programs. Well, let me go to caller Ede, I believe, in Berkeley. Hi, Ede, join us. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm very happy that this uh, thing passed. But still, we have to face serious question about education, college education especially. College education is free in most countries of the world, rich and poor. Why do we have so much here? I've, in the past, it was the same. I was at Cal for 13 years as a grad student, physics department, and a teacher. It was free then for California student. $500 semester for out-of-state, including foreign students like I was. What happened? Why did it go so much? Mm. Why did education go so much? By the way, everybody should know, we have college to get our teacher, our professors, our engineer, our physicians, our everything. If we, if we have this high fees. Now, at the same time, we're spending up to $80,000 a year to keep an American in prison. And right now, America, for the last 30 years, has the highest number of prisoners in the world, over 2.5 million Americans in prison. What kind of nonsense is that? Um, Do you know now why we have such a system? It is terrible. I think your questions about education are certainly very relevant in the sense that, can you remind us, Patrick McGreevy, some of the, the ways that education and trying to get kids back in schools are being handled in the California stimulus bill? Yeah, in the stimulus bill, uh, one of the things they did was they restored uh, tens of millions of dollars that had been proposed to be cut from the UC and Cal State systems. If the federal stimulus hadn't come through, they figured it was coming. So they put that money back in, which potentially will allow the university systems to do uh, the kind of job they need to do, given the pandemic and distance learning. And this is more of just a logistical question, a quick clarification, Emily Stewart. Margot asks, is the stimulant, is stimulus payment calculated on gross income or adjusted gross income? And it's adjusted, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. And let me go to Wynn in Menlo Park. Hi, Wynn. Thanks for Hi, thanks. Thank you. Um, I wish I thought of this earlier, but I think the president, either tonight or at his next press conference, should stand in front of a picture of the Oval Office with the door open and say that this door is open all the time to Republicans and Democrats who have any ideas to help make America great. And you say this because? 
you feel like? Well, because there's all this comments that this bill that came out, the American Rescue Bill, is only a Democratic bill and had no Republican uh, input. And yet 10 Republicans came through that door, and I'm sure that some of the things they said to Biden may have been incorporated in the bill. Well, Wynn, thanks for making that point. I mean, Emily Stewart, President Biden did politely listen to a proposal from some Republican lawmakers, correct? But it sounds like it was just so far away in terms of the gap between what he wanted to do and what they were proposing that it's interesting to me, or at least what do you find politically revealing about the fact that he said, thanks, but no thanks? Well, I think it's important to remember. So this bill is $1.9 trillion. The Republican proposal from Susan Collins and a handful of other senators was $6 billion. So that's about a third. <laughs> like, yeah. Just to find the middle ground there, it's it's understandable why that would have been a, a, quite a lift. And this felt kind of from the get-go. The White House said, okay, like we are going to talk to you guys to see what you will come on board with. But it was also very clear from the get-go that reconciliation was going to at least be a parallel track, which is what Democrats wound up doing. Meaning they needed the 50 votes to sign the bill or to, you know, to pass the bill. Um, but yeah, I mean, we will kind of see going forward if, if Democrats and Republicans can find some things that they can work together on it conceivably if the next thing is infrastructure, maybe like shouldn't everybody it's it's a democratic and republican priority for sure and so i think we'll see going forward but on this bill there was just a lot of space if you even talk about like the state and local aid that's been a huge sticking point for republicans they never they were never going to go for it and so if if democrats really wanted to do that they had to they had to go it alone well let me read a couple of comments uh Tammy writes, this bill is representative of the Democrats' agenda to ignore and discount any ideas, opinions, or concerns of any but those that buy into their ideology and position. This bill goes far beyond a rescue from a pandemic. Annie writes, GOP members who voted to overturn a free and fair election shouldn't remain seated. They have lost any credibility. The relief bill is overwhelmingly popular among voters of all stripes. GOP in Congress is out of step with America on this one. This bill will help America recover much faster from COVID decimation. The recovery, I mean, Patrick McGreevy, I've been interested to read just how much uh, economists really are predicting not just a strong year of economic growth for the nation, but potentially an even stronger one in California. (laughs) Can you comment on that a little bit, even with how hard we've been hit with tourism? Yeah, it just, it seems like they're expecting the the state to sort of set the the pace for everyone else. And, you know, California has some strong industry, the tech industry, and all that, you know, tourism is going to be coming back uh, as the vaccines roll out. Uh, there's a lot of optimism among economists here, um, but for the average person, you know, it's it's they're skeptical. I mean, one of the challenges here is the, uh, the federal stimulus has thirty billion dollars for unemployed people to get three hundred dollars a week through September. Problem is, the California Unemployment Agency has had a lot of trouble getting the money out to people, and that's going to be a big challenge going forward. Again, Patrick McGreevy is a staff writer for the Los Angeles Times. Emily Stewart is with us, business and politics reporter for Vox. You're listening to Forum. I'm Nina Kim. And let me go to Michael in Oakland. Hi, Michael. Hi. Um, So you guys have been characterizing the Republican 
democratic debate, uh, mostly around, you know, how far do you draw the lines around what counts as uh, COVID relief in terms of like, does it have to be narrowly medical stuff or does stuff like, you know, the huge hit to public transit, you know, does making up that money count as COVID relief or not? It's got to be said, whether you agree or disagree with the individual provisions, there is a very large proportion of this money that is going to things that really genuinely have nothing at all to do with COVID. Uh, just last night, for instance, on All Things Considered, they had a piece on a program on reparations for black farmers who historically, because of racism, uh, were not able to access low interest loans from USDA or crop insurance. And, you know, that sounded to me like a meritorious proposal, but clearly, you know, long predates anything to do with the virus. Um, there was another example on WBUR the other day, uh, an $86 billion, and I, I will call it because it sounds like it is, a bailout for union pension uh, uh, funds that have been badly mismanaged over the years because of you know, a mixture of bad faith negotiations on both sides and just poor management and bad assumptions, mm. you know, all the, so again, like predates by decades, any kind of pandemic. Well, Michael, um, thank you. you for, know, so, yeah. I, I think you're raising a really important point and I want to get Emily Stewart to talk about it. You, you mentioned that this relief bill will provide support for black farmers. And I remember seeing the headlines about how it is the most significant legislation for black farmers since the Civil Rights Act. Michael is asking about its relevance to COVID relief. But I do think, well, first, do you want to describe that provision a little bit more, but then also talk about how I think this still does relate to this sense between Democrats and Republicans that the either side that either side will definitely not negotiate necessarily in good faith and that they want to try to get as much in as possible if it has any kind of relationship to people getting up off their feet. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, on the farmers of color thing, I think this is it is in a way like perhaps a, a point that, OK, sure, this is not completely specific to, to COVID, but it is still important. And the bill, what it does is it says it's going to give some debt relief to to people who have been disadvantaged. So farmers and ranchers who have really been hit um, by the pandemic, which, you know, the argument would be as a result of longstanding discrimination so that they were harmed extra by the pandemic. And so they need extra help. Um, you know, in terms of the broader debate, like there's just going to be areas where there's not going to be, um, you know, agreement. But I do think that the democratic thinking on this at the very least is like, why not take the opportunity to make things better? You know, we hear the Biden administration saying build back better all the time, but the pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of existing inequalities. And so why not take the opportunity to help people who were disproportionately harmed mm. because of the pandemic, who had they been in a better position ahead of time and not so vulnerable, things would not have been so different for them than they were for the people who can work from home and whose lives are not that different. And Emily Stewart, I think it was in your reporting that I saw that, you know, in 2009, the Obama administration thought after they passed a scaled down package that they would have a few more bites at the apple <laughs> and they never really did. 
yeah, this is one you hear from from Democrats a lot, a lot that they say you know, members of the Senate, members of Congress who were there thought that they were going to have another chance and they didn't. And so I think it, as negotiations played out, there was a real sense that like, what if we don't get to come back to the table again? And it does feel like we sort of been guessing at the end of the pandemic since it began. And our first guess last year was sometime in July, right? And that was wrong. And so this feels like at the very least an acknowledgement that we need to be a little bit more ambitious with our guesses of, of what's going to be needed here. Well, Douglas writes, what is it about the 1.9 trillion stimulus package that will lift people out of poverty? Surely it's not the $1,400 stimulus checks, which will pay my rent for a month. Uh, just a quick summary. I mean, we have been talking about how this will slash poverty and, and potentially cut child poverty significantly. That's really, Emily Stewart, as a result of the, the tax credits, the rental and mortgage assistance, the food aid and all those other things inside the bill. Yeah, it really is kind of a sum of all parts, I think, type of type of estimates that are coming out. And, and leave us with your thoughts on what Biden will say tonight in his first primetime address to the nation since he became president of the United States. I mean, I think that, you know, Biden has consistently struck a, a realistic but hopeful tone. Um, you know, sometimes he, he says things that not everyone wants to hear about how, how the pandemic is going and when things will be over. But you know, they've really seemed to have been striking a more optimistic tone recently as the vaccines continue to be rolled out, um, as again, this package is coming through. Like, I think that the message is increasingly brighter days are ahead. And mm -hmm. I think that's the mood of the country as well. Patrick McGreevy, what do Californians need to hear? We just have 20 seconds. Well, I think the, the governor did his state of the state address yesterday and said that we can see the light at the end of the tunnels. That was his message. Um, and that's, I guess, people are going to be watching for. Yes, and, and wanting to hear from President Biden as well. Well, Patrick McGreevy of the Los Angeles Times and Emily Stewart of Vox, thanks both of you for joining us. Thanks to our listeners for their questions about this $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. And thanks to Ariana Prail for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.